Hello and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I'm Thomas. And I'm Jim. Today we'll be looking at further allegations against Peter Lucido, Gretchen Whitmer's speech at Saginaw Valley State University, Michigan's growing economy, the bid for the open Senate seat, and more. Now for the headlines this week. The U.S. Supreme Court lets Flint, Michigan residents sue over water contamination. A Michigan senator hopes filing sexual harassment complaint against her colleague will change the culture. Attorneys accuse Michigan State Police of conflict of interest over breathalyzer probe. Governor Gretchen Whitmer to deliver the Democratic response to the State of the Union. And Gary Peters objects to dark money in politics despite benefiting from super PAC ad buys. We'll be looking at these more thoroughly. This week, the Michigan legislature passed three articles of legislation. The first, the House Bill 4706, is to revise the details of how child abuse or neglect reports are categorized based on whether children in a household are considered either safe, safe with services, or unsafe, and the government agency response that is required for each category. This is part of a legislative package comprised of House Bills 4704 to 4709 that would revise Michigan's Child Protective Service laws and programs in response to a 2018 Auditor General finding that efforts to ensure the appropriate and consistent application of selected CPS investigation requirements are insufficient. Other bills would specify when an investigation could be abbreviated if a complaint is frivolous and require that a contact must be made within 24 hours of receiving an abuse or neglect report that provides information on the well-being of each child in the suspect household. The second is House Bill 4020. It's to repeal a ban on the sale, possession, or use of stun guns by adults, defined as a, quote, device that is capable of creating an electromuscular disruption, capable of temporarily incapacitating or immobilizing an individual by the direction or emission of conducted energy, unquote. The stun gun definition excludes launchable devices, which excludes tasers from the bill. Current law requires a person to have a concealed pistol license to carry a taser. And the third is House Bill 4156, to allow former government psychiatric health care workers who are collecting state pension benefits to go back to work in certain positions and collect a paycheck without taking a cut in pension benefits. And this was passed 38 to 0 in the Senate. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite the bipartisan bill there, that last one. So let's jump into these new allegations against Senator Peter Lucido. The allegations were first reported by Crane's Detroit Business. Senator Mallory McMarrow, a Democrat from Royal Oak, claims, quote, he shook my hand and with his other hand held my low back with his fingers on my hips, effectively upper rear, and we had a back and forth conversation, and he asked me where I was from. McMarrow said... Royal Oak. He asked who I ran against, and I said, I beat Marty Nolenberg. Nolenberg. We're going with Nolenberg. At which point he looked me up and down, raised his eyebrows, and said, I can see why. Senator Rosemary Bayer, also a newly elected Democrat from Beverly Hills, says that she witnessed the exchange and tells Crane's Detroit business 
They were standing there talking together, and his arm was reaching around her back, Bayer told Cranes. Senate Minority Leader Jim Ananich, Ananich? Let's go with Ananich. A Democrat from Flint called McMurrow's actions pretty disturbing behavior. He said, quote, it's not becoming just an isolated incident. Anna Nick told Cranes, it's showing more of a pattern. So these come after the allegations uh, raised by, Sen uh, not Senator, uh, Miss Allison Donahue, a reporter from, what was it, the publication? M Michigan Advance. Michigan Advance, yes. The publication, Michigan Advance. Uh, she claimed that Senator Peter Lucido had made some crude remarks towards her. We talked about that on the show last week. The only thing I would add is just it's unclear exactly what course of action they're going to be able to take um, concerning these allegations. Yeah. Um, I do believe that the Senate Majority Leader has said he's going to look into them, but I don't know. I haven't received any definition of what exactly he's going to do. Yeah, I think they discussed maybe removing him from some of his committee assignments. But that's really all they can effectively do for something that is not really a crime. Um, I understand that so far all of the allegations, all of the evidence has come from Democrats, so um, we'll need to see where these allegations actually go and if there's any evidence for them. The only other two options that I know of are censure or expulsion. They, they have the power to do that. But censure is really meaningless. It, it just says that we don't approve of your action. It doesn't have any consequences. And expulsion is only for the most serious crimes. And I honestly don't know of anybody who's been ex expelled from the Michigan legislature. There may have been some, but it's, it's very, very rare. And it doesn't seem like this would rise at all to the level of expulsion. So it is unclear what, uh, what course they're going to take next. But we'll keep an eye on it. All right. Do you have a headline, Jim, that you want to take us away with? Yes. Yes, I do. The U.S. Supreme Court lets Flint, Michigan residents sue over water contamination. This is from Reuters, uh, January 21st, 2020. The U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday let residents of Flint, Michigan pursue a civil rights lawsuit against the city and government officials that accused them of knowingly allowing the city's water supply to become contaminated with lead. The justices turned away two appeals by the city and the state and local officials of a lower court ruling that allowed the lawsuit to move forward. The lower court rejected the demand for immunity by the officials, finding that they violated the residents' right to, quote, bodily integrity, end quote, under the U.S. Constitution by providing the tainted water after switching water sources in a cost-cutting move in 2014. Flint switched its public water source from Lake Huron to the Flint River to reduce costs during a financial crisis. The corrosive river water caused lead to leach from pipes. The city switched back to Lake Huron water the next year. The contaminated river water also triggered the outbreak of bacteria-caused Legionnaire's disease, which killed 12 people and sickened dozens of others. Lawsuits over Flint's water have proliferated in recent years. The number of people who have, who have reported being harmed 
through exposure to contaminants in Flint, including lead and bacteria, or who experienced ailments such as rashes and hair loss, has reached more than 25,000, including more than 5,000 children under 12, according to court records. The cases center on the Constitution's 14th Amendment, guarantee of due process under the law, which can protect people from government-induced harm to their personal security or health, a legal principle known as bodily integrity. Courts have previously enforced the right to confront abuses of power in cases of direct physical intrusion, such as non-consensual medical procedures or forced drug administration. The defendants argue that the lower courts have dangerously expanded that right by applying it to policy decisions that resulted in public exposure to environmental toxins. They also argued they are protected from the claims through a legal doctrine known as qualified immunity because they could not have known they could be held liable for doing the best they could in difficult circumstances with limited information. The case before the justices was filed in 2016 by two Flint residents, including Sherry Gorton, who said that she and her child were exposed to high levels of lead. Calling the water crisis a government-created environmental disaster in a 2019 ruling, the Sixth Circuit greenlighted the constitutional claims and rejected immunity for the officials. Wow, so more than 25,000 people now have the legal authority to sue their representatives or the, the government officials? That's my understanding, but it would probably be a, a class action lawsuit is probably instead of 25,000 separate cases. Okay. They would probably just do one large case in which they would all... Yeah, that's, that's what I would assume. I would imagine that they would just waste the court's time to have 25,000 different cases. Yeah. Would just say. They would, they would, they've done that with other things. Um, at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, there was a, um, a tainted water, something to do with the water. And I remember, because my father was at Camp Lejeune during that time, and he received a notice saying that if you wanted action, you had to get on the class action lawsuit. There would not be any more. You know, so so you couldn't just hear that and then say, "Well, I'll sue my myself." Okay. So they, they they said you have to get in on this. If you don't get in on this, you're you're out. You're not. There's no chance for you to get. You're not going to get any money if anything comes, and you cannot file your own lawsuit. This is the only one. So, I would imagine it'd be the same. Okay. In this case. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving back to the topic of senators. Senator Gary Peters seems to be struggling in his race against challenger John James. The Detroit Free Press reports that Peters, who is finishing his first term, is ahead of James 44 to 40 percent. The Detroit Free Press reports that Peters, who is finishing his first term, is ahead of James 44 percent to 40 percent. In a Glengare group poll of 600 likely Michigan voters that was provided to the Detroit News. So about 16 percent of voters are undecided in this race and it is expected to receive national attention. Peters is one of two senators running in states that President Donald Trump won in 2016. So we'll see if the Trump presidency has any effect on the voting in 2020, whether or not Democrats are able to keep that seat or if it flips over to the Republicans. And James had a nearly successful race in 2018 against Debbie Stabenow, 
that's making it look like he's going to do pretty well in this race. Uh, I know Gary Peters is not uh, a name that is very well known, and John James is uh, much more of a well-known name. Uh, a lot of times votes go to the person they know rather than policy, which may be a problem, but that's the way it is. So we'll see that how that works out for James in this election. A James spokesperson said the campaign will be more available after a public launch event planned sometime in the first quarter of 2020, as he's been unavailable for comment thus far in his campaign. All right, continuing that theme with Senator Gary Peters, I have a headline here from the National Review on January 22nd, 2020. Gary Peters objects to dark money in politics, despite benefiting from $1 million in super PAC ad buys. Senator Gary Peters, already facing a tough re-election campaign against Republican John James, came under further fire Tuesday after publicly condemning the malign forces of dark money in politics, despite benefiting from $1.4 million ad campaign by Vote Vets Action Fund. Today marks a decade of Citizens United. That's 10 years of dark money, 10 years of special interests literally buying elections, 10 years of a for sale sign on our democracy. Add your name to say you're in the fight to end Citizens United, Peters tweeted Tuesday. But the Michigan Democrat failed to mention the support his campaign has received from Vote Vets, which was described as a liberal dark money nonprofit by the nonpartisan Center for Public Integrity. Vote Vets ran a $750,000 ad buy in November to counter a similar GOP effort and has only increased its support for Peters since then. Under Citizens United, federal law allows for independent organizations to spend unlimited amounts to promote political candidates, but advertisements are considered a campaign contribution and are, as a result, subject to limitations. If the super PAC and the benefiting campaign work in coordination on the effort. Gary Peters is a hypocrite by blasting dark money on social media while those same groups run millions of dollars in TV ads for his re-election benefit, Tory Sachs, executive director of Better Future Michigan, told National Review in a statement. While campaigns are not officially allowed to coordinate with super PACs, the Peters campaign website employs the common tactic of making generic photos and B-roll footage publicly available so that outside groups can use them to produce favorable ads. In a November ad touting Peter's support for veterans, Vote Vets uses pictures and footage found on the official campaign website. It did the same for a December ad titled Raise. In December, Conservative Watchdog Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust, or FACT for short, filed a complaint with the FEC over the campaign's posting of stock photos in B-roll video. The purpose and effect of these web pages is clear, to give explicit instructions to outside organizations on the content and audiences for advertisements supporting their campaigns, fact stated in a complaint. The Peters campaign did not respond to a request for comment. James's campaign announced earlier this month that it had outraised Peters for the fourth quarter by $1 million. And a December poll also showed James climbing to a narrow lead after Peters said, I believe that we can transition the U.S. economy to zero net emissions by 2050, despite the fact 
that Michigan's largest industry is the auto industry. All right, thanks for that headline, Jim. Obviously some shady stuff going on up in uh, Lansing and uh, nobody's surprised because it's Lansing. All right, so Governor Whitmer gave a speech at Saginaw Valley State University. She prefaced the speech by saying that she was not going to say much about her plans for road funding, but she also confirmed that the State of the State Address will be covering it more fully. Um, she had this mention of infrastructure. Um, she said that she had talked to somebody from Chemical Bank, actually, just before the speech, and that Chemical Bank had partnered with another bank in Minnesota that had their headquarters in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota was trying to argue that Chemical Bank should have their headquarters there, and they brought up the the horrible road conditions, the infrastructure. Um, so Governor Whitmer is trying very hard to address that situation. Um, Chemical Bank did keep their headquarters here in Michigan, but we'll have to wait for the state of the state address to find out exactly what she's gonna do about our infrastructure and our roads. Now she also talked about a few other things. Um, one of them of note, she mentioned that uh, she's trying to get the roads out of the general fund. So this was not an actual plan to fix the roads, but more of a plan to separate roads from other funding. Um, Governor Whitmer claimed that uh, we're losing money to schools and to other, other institutions that we need to fund in order to keep dumping money into roads. What money she's dumping into roads, we still have to find out, but she did mention that she wants to try and keep a lot of the funding in schools. So Governor Whitmer says that high poverty areas need more financial support from the state to have quote unquote a level playing field. She says all the science and studies in the world bear that out. Now this is a speech we're covering. This isn't actually an article, so I'm just going to fact check the governor here real quick. Um, that's just not true. Uh, it is objectively false. Children's success is not based on how much money we dump into their education. Usually throwing money at a problem does not actually fix the problem. Uh, the Brookings Institute has done a study that shows that making good life choices, making you know, having two parents in the household and raising children, you know, being there for the children will give them a higher level of success. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of studies that say children that come from a two-parent household tend to do better. And this kind of touches on an important cultural issue that has been plaguing both our state and our nation. Uh, this is the news segment, but I want to ask our listeners this question. Is it the job of our government to educate our children, or is it the parents' job to educate the children? Um, this has some bearings on the studies that show that having both parents in the home is more of a barometer for a child's success than throwing money at the problem. Um, so we'd love to hear from the listeners. Let us know what you think, if we should be entrusting our children's education to the government, or if that's more of a job for the parents. So Whitmer also mentioned that she plans to increase skill training for adults. Uh, she wants to increase the population's percent of people with post-secondary degrees to 60% by 2030. Now she admits 
herself that that's a pretty ambitious goal. And she says something that's very interesting to me. She says we need to, quote, adopt a culture of lifelong learning, end quote. And I think that's actually one of the more intelligent things she says there. So again, this, this goes into, you know, where we are in Michigan as a culture. We'll be discussing education and government involvement in it more fully in the opinion segment. And then the last thing I wanted to point out from Whitmer's speech, uh, the full version of which will be available on our website, you can go in, or on our Facebook page, you can go and click the link, listen to it. She says that, quote, no one runs for the House or Senate with bad motives, unquote. So that's an interesting um, thing. She says, I know in our political landscape, we've got mudslinging going on left and right. Um, and at least in this in this speech, Whitmer is not interested in vilifying legislators uh, for disagreeing with her, which I think is very big of her. Um, I, I actually respect her a lot for saying that. She actually uh, was taking listener questions as well. Those go into a lot more opinion than I think I'm going to put here in the news segment. So we will be discussing those more fully in the opinion segment as well. Continuing on the topic of Governor Whitmer, uh, political reports that Governor Gretchen Whitmer is to deliver the Democratic response to the State of the Union. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer will deliver the Democratic response to President Donald Trump's State of the Union address on February 4th, party leaders announced Friday. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer's decision to tap Whitmer comes as she's increasingly been cited as a model for Democrats in the Trump era. Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota, mentioned the governor in a presidential debate earlier this month, using Whitmer as an example of a woman who can win. Whitmer's 10-point win over Republican Bill Schuette in 2018 came two years after Michigan went for Trump, and it's sure to be a key battleground state in 2020. Whitmer has embraced expanding health care as one of her top priorities, one of the key issues Democrats used to take back the House in 2018. And she's been vocal about how Democrats should move forward as the 2020 election approaches. The party's strength is on the dinner table issues, she said, before the June 2019 Democratic debates in Michigan, adding that candidates should stay focused, I think, on issues that really improve people's lives. Schumer and Pelosi echo those statements in announcing the pick. Whether it's pledging to fix the damn roads or investing in climate solutions, Governor Whitmer's vision for the future is exactly what this country needs, and I'm thrilled she is giving the Democratic response, Schumer said in a statement. Well, that touches pretty heavy on national politics. As we are more focused on state politics, we may or may not cover that response. We'll see about it. Busy college students, um, stay tuned. Maybe we cover it. So we've got another bill up for consideration that has gone through the House. It was introduced by Representative Tristan Cole and passed in Congress on January 23rd. Um, the bill allows internet service providers to develop in public easements already used like telephone lines and underground wiring. The bill would also protect them from liabilities and damages and wear and tear and stuff like that. They would not be able to be sued by the power companies or anybody else using those easements um, for damages to their own equipment. 
This seems to be a pretty bipartisan effort as it was passed overwhelmingly in the House. I think there was maybe like one vote against it. But the argument is that Michigan needs to be able to expand their businesses and to expand businesses, internet is an absolute necessity. Um, getting more internet availability to rural areas will allow development in those areas. So it seems to be a pretty good thing for Michigan, which is probably why it has such bipartisan support. Uh, you can look at the bill on the House GOP website. We will have a link to the bill on our Facebook page. So yeah, I encourage you to go take a look at that. Um, it seems to be a great thing. And we've just got one more small thing dealing with culture. Um, this isn't something that is actually going to probably be put into law. Uh, but Democratic lawmakers are making a push for illegal immigrants to be able to have driver's licenses. Now, they were allowed to have them up until 2008, at which point um, the laws changed, um, taking that right away from them. We will maybe be discussing this in the opinion segment, but it doesn't seem to have any real support, so it's not going, it's probably not going anywhere in the legislature. All right, so before we end the show today, We've been wanting to go through the Michigan Constitution just bit by bit, uh, working our way through it, familiarizing ourselves with it so that we know what the rights of the people are, um, how much power we've given to the state government. So we're going to start with the preamble. Our preamble reads, We the people of the state of Michigan, grateful to Almighty God for the blessings of freedom and earnestly desiring to secure these blessings, undiminished to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution so after that we go into article one which is the declaration of rights uh, this includes what rights the governments have which rights the peoples have um, and kind of distinguishes between the two the first section of article one is about political power and it says all political power is inherent in the people government is instituted for their equal benefit security and protection that's so just kind of the, uh, the function of the government um, and what their role is here in this state. Section 2 deals with discrimination. It says, No person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws, nor shall any person be denied the employment of his civil or political rights or be discriminated against in the exercise thereof because of religion, race, color, or national origin. The legislature shall implement this section by appropriate legislation. Section 3 deals with assembly, consultation, instruction, and petition. It says the people have the right to peaceably assemble, to consult for the common good, to instruct their representatives, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Section 4. Freedom of Worship and Religious Belief. Every person shall be at liberty to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience. No person shall be compelled to attend or against his consent to contribute to the erection or support of any place of religious worship or to pay tithes, taxes, or other rates for the support of any minister of the gospel or teacher of religion. No money shall be appropriated or drawn from the treasury for the benefit of any religious sect or society, theological or religious seminary, 
nor shall property belonging to the state be appropriated for any such purpose. The civil and political rights, privileges, and capacities of no person shall be diminished or enlarged on account of his religious belief. Section 5. Freedom of Speech and of Press. Every person may freely speak, write, express, and publish his views on all subjects, being responsible for the abuse of such right, and no law shall be enacted to restrain or abridge the liberty of speech or of the press. Section 6. Bearing of Arms. Every person has a right to keep and bear arms for the defense of himself and the state. Section 7. Military Power Subordinate to Civil Power. The military shall in all cases and at all times be in strict subordination to the civil power. So there you have this week's portion of our Michigan State's Constitution. We will have the link for that on our Facebook page as well. I definitely encourage you to go and look through it, find out what your freedoms are, what the government's responsibilities are, and just familiarize yourself with the process of government here in Michigan. So for the Holmes Politicast for this week, I'm Thomas. And I'm Jim. And we'll see you on Friday for the opinions segment. Mm-hmm.